So we're going to go ahead and get started today. I'm going to do uh, this morning Sunday school lesson. I'm titling it the Immovable Ladder. You probably see that ladder there on the screen. The Immovable Ladder. Which how many has ever heard of the Immovable Ladder before? Nobody's ever heard of that. Good. All right. Good. So I think you'll find this interesting. I never heard about this until I went over to Israel. That picture on the screen is a picture that I took of the immovable ladder. But before we get into uh, what the story of that ladder and what it's all about, uh, I do want to go to some scriptures because we're going to look at something that is um, a part of what, you, what uh, the world would call Christianity. Now, just understand, as I talk about Christianity today and things involving Christians, I'm not necessarily talking about saved people. I'm not necessarily talking about the true church. I'm talking about the Catholic Church. And just understand, uh, the Catholics claim to have over a billion Catholics in the world. And they consider themselves Christian. And so, I'm speaking, uh, and speaking in a global sense in the way our world speaks. Not necessarily a biblical sense. But this, is a, uh, this place right here, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it would be one of the most holy sites in all of Christianity. And understand how I'm using that word. Uh, but at the same time, uh, before we get into that, John chapter 4 and verse 19, this is the story of the woman at the well. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, we take this for granted because this is all we've ever known, is worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. We believe Christ dwells in us. We pray to the Father, wherever we want. And we're uh, very privileged to be able to do that. We, can, uh, we, you know, we don't have to go to a certain city, a certain building to have fellowship with God, to pray to God. We don't have to do those things. But there was a time back in Jesus' day where you worshipped was very important. According to the law, there were certain times of year they were supposed to go to Jerusalem. They, during certain feasts, they were to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was very important. Uh, it was the place to go. And because the Samaritans disagreed with the Jews during that time about where to worship, that was one of the many reasons they didn't get along with each other. And in fact, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus was not received by the Samaritans because they could tell his face is as it were to go to Jerusalem. So because of the fact that they could tell, hey, he's on his way to Jerusalem for one of the feasts or whatever, we don't even want to, we're not going to listen to anything he has to say because they had a lot of hostility over that. Now, at the same time, too, while the, Samar- the Jews, they would criticize the Samaritans for not worshiping in Jerusalem, but at the same time, too, they wouldn't let them because they were Samaritans. So the Samaritans had their own place and they said, no, this is the place where we ought to worship. And Jesus talking to the woman with the well, he basically told her, hey, you worship what you know, not what. Their place was not the right place, but he told them, the hour is coming when we're not going to worry about that anymore. 
And folks, we are in that hour and I'm thankful for it. But in Luke 9, verse 51, it says, It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. So we're going to see this mentality hasn't changed either. So they had so much hostility with each other over these disagreements that when the Samaritans didn't receive Jesus, the disciples were asking Jesus to give them the power to torch these people. They wanted to kill them because of this. And Jesus is like, hey, that's not what we're looking for. That's not the spirit that we have. And so God does not dwell in buildings made with hands anymore. He dwells inside the believer. 1 Corinthians 6.19 What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye had of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus is what matter, not buildings. Okay? Buildings, spiritually speaking, are not important. When it comes to religious practices, they are not what's important. Jesus is what matters. Hebrews 9.11 But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So they used to have a temple in Jerusalem. But in Hebrews, he's telling them that hey, Jesus went once into the holy place. He offered eternal redemption for us. We don't need those things. We don't need a temple. We don't need sacrifices. Jesus is everything that we need spiritually. And so it's not about building. So having said all this, I, I do want to talk to you about the immovable ladder that we see right here this is a picture that i took uh, when i was in uh, jerusalem outside this picture is from the 1880s and you can see the ladder right there in the picture it's been there at least since the 1880s for sure some think it's been there since the 1700s this is a drawing uh, from around the 1800s and you can see the ladder is there even in in the drawing so this ladder has been around for a very very long time and so, uh, before we show some of this footage that I took, but the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, if you're not familiar with that, it's a church in the Christian quarter of Old City, Jerusalem. And according to traditions, uh, it goes all the way back to the 4th century. They've had a church in this spot. Now, this building that you see here, um, it hasn't been there since the 4th century. It's been tore down, burned down, rebuilt several times over the centuries. I think probably most of what you're looking at here is from the 1800s, but there are portions inside there that go back even farther. Um, you know, and some of the things in there go all the way back to the 4th century for sure. So, uh, but this is the place where, according to tradition and Christianity, this is the church built over the spot where Jesus died on the cross, 
and also where his tomb was, where he rose from the dead. So, uh, how many's ever heard of the Via Dolorosa? You ever heard it? I mean, yeah, the Way of Suffering, and uh, it's a pa- it's a road that you can take through Jerusalem, and they have all these different stations of the cross, places where he was beaten, where he was on trial, and then the final stations of the cross all end up here at this Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And we, if you're in Jerusalem, it's not uncommon to see a bunch of Catholics walking through there, praying, crying, carrying a cross, singing songs, you know, uh, reading, reading scriptures. And they, uh, it's a very uh, special thing for them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The, they're the def, definition of that. So anyway, but this, this site is where Jesus was crucified or known as Calvary or Golgotha in the Bible, the empty tomb. Um, but then some history. Okay, so for sure, I do think it's legit that this spot has been believed to have been the crucifixion spot since the 4th century. Now, does anybody know what happened in the 4th century? An organization that popped up? The Catholic Church. And so Constantine, who was emperor of Rome, when he converted to Christianity because he saw a sign in the sky, that Egyptian ankh, uh, that looks kind of like a cross with a loop on the top. It said, in this sign overcome. Uh, he like converted to Christianity. And so he sent his mother, Helena, to Jerusalem to go find all of the sites of uh, biblical events. But understand, it had been almost 300 years since these things had happened. Almost 300 years. Jerusalem had been destroyed at least twice, big time, since that had happened. In 70 AD, that was when the temple was completely wiped out. Not one stone left upon another. In 132 AD, after the Bar Kokhba revolt, because of an attempt to rebuild the temple, they went and literally stripped everything down to the ground, plowed over Mount Zion, like the Bible prophesied, trying to remove the memory of the temple from Jerusalem. They built a temple to Jupiter, over that spot and they were hoping the Jews would forget all about it. And so a lot changed. I mean, think about how much things have changed in the last 300 years here in America, you know? And so imagine if you attempted to remove the memory of something. So at the end of the day, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time explaining how they found these places, but a lot of it was through visions and dreams that Helena had. And folks, she was weird Constantine was weird, um, but they form, end up forming the Catholic Church, and these have been known as those places since then. Do I think they're legit? No. I mean, and, and we have no way of knowing. Okay, but either way you look at it, they do go back to the fourth century, and so uh, this is following the siege of Jerusalem in AD seventy during the first Jewish-Roman War, Jerusalem had been reduced to ruins. In AD 30, the Roman Emperor Hadrian began the building of the Roman colony, the new city of Alia Capitolina, on this site. He ordered that a cave containing a rock-cut tomb be filled in to create a flat foundation for a temple dedicated to Jupiter or Venus. The temple remained until early 4th century. So it's interesting, if you look at history, a temple of Jupiter used to be right here in this spot. But do you know what else? According to history, where the temple was 
after they removed it, they built a temple to Jupiter there. And so I've been trying to figure out, did they build two temples to Jupiter within very close proximity of each other? Or is this actually where the temple was? You know, I, I don't know for sure, but according to history, te- um, a temple to Jupiter was built on both spots. And so anyway, how they figured out this was the actual spot, after allegedly seeing a vision of a cross in the sky, Constantine the Great began to favor Christianity, signed the Edict of Milan, legalizing the religion, and sent his mother Helena to Jerusalem to look for Christ's tomb with the help of the Bishop of Caesarea Eusebius and Bishop of Jerusalem, Macarius. Three crosses were found near the tomb, one which allegedly cured people of death and was presumed to be the true cross Jesus was crucified on, leading the Romans to believe they had found Calvary. So, I mean, if if we really think the cross was there and healing people, again, I thought it was all about Jesus. You know, I always thought it was about the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what the disciples used. But, you know, here we are 300 years later and they're finding a cross that's supposed to do all this stuff. Uh, If you ask my opinion, I don't believe it. I just, I don't believe it. But, Constantine ordered in about 326 the temple to Jupiter or Venus to be replaced by a church. After the temple was torn down and its ruins removed, the soil was removed from the cave, revealing the rock-cut tomb that Helena Marcleus identified as the burial site of Jesus. So Helena decided that this was the tomb. And folks, there's rock-cut tombs all over Jerusalem. All over. In fact, there's a bunch inside this church, some that they found in more recent history. So again, you know, if you're looking for a tomb of Jesus and a rock cut tomb, if you find a rock cut tomb, you're going to think it's the tomb of Jesus. You know, when you're looking for something, how many have ever been deer hunting before? You know, when you're deer hunting and you're looking for a deer, everything looks like a deer. Everything that moves sounds like a deer, you know, and then a lot of times it ends up being a squirrel. So, uh, that's just kind of how it is. But anyway, um, there's a lot of different information on this. I'm not going to read all the history, but again, it was damaged or destroyed and rebuilt several times throughout history. But um, let's go ahead and play some more of the video. So this is the outside of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There's no sound on here, but um, there used to be two doors. They blocked that one off a long time ago for some reason. But this outer part here said it's newer from the 1800s. When you go right inside here, this is a stone where they believe the body of Jesus was laid and prepared. Uh, people go wipe hankies over it and then give them to people. Um, and then right this stairway, super old. This goes up to where they believe Jesus died on the cross. We'll see some video of that pretty soon. But this building is unbelievable. The architecture is just amazing. But uh, that, And that's a marble slab they put over that to help preserve it. So it wouldn't even be the rock Jesus laid on anyway. But people still wipe hankies on it, cry over it. And um, I had an unbelievable 360 video of this that memory cards corrupted on. And I can't get. But right in here, this, this thing is built over where they believe the tomb was. All these people are waiting to go in and see the tomb. Now, most of that rock cut tomb, it's been destroyed from earthquakes and things over history. But they have the original slab that they believe the body would have laid on. And so they've built that fancy thing over it. There's several chapels inside here. and But right inside there, that's where everybody goes and they can see the spot where they believe the body of Jesus lay. 
And as you can see, this is very elaborate, decorated up pretty cool. Uh, this is the uh, rotunda of the Atasis or something like that. I think it's uh, Latin for resurrection. Probably saying that wrong. And so I, I, I was walking back around over to this area and said, you can't hear the sound, but I got yelled at by a priest. I, apparently I went back somewhere I wasn't supposed to. And the way they yell at you over there, they make hissing sounds at you like a cat. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like they know you don't speak their language or whatever. But I, I don't know what this is in here. But yeah, that's why I stopped the camera. I, was, I started getting yelled at. And then, um, yeah, you go down the stairway. I didn't realize this, but underneath here is underneath where the cross was. And they call it, the, the up here is the Golgotha area. This is the most elaborately decorated area. But below it, they call it the Chapel of Adam. And they believe that's where Adam's body was buried. And the blood of Christ flowed down and went into the skull of Adam, you know, who had brought sin into the world. I didn't know about any of this stuff when I was there. But uh, they've got all kinds of crazy traditions surrounding this. But the Catholics all come. And underneath here is where they believe the cross was and where the blood flowed. And there's a hole that you can reach down in there. And I guess that's supposedly uh, where the blood went uh, when Jesus died. I didn't know any of that when I was at first filming this. I was just saw, we just saw everybody gathering around here. And we knew it must be important. And so right here you'll see a priest sleeping. Scary looking dude. He caught me trying to video him. But uh, we asked him what this spot was. And then you just hear him in this deep voice, Golgotha. And, what, and so that's where they believe Jesus died on the cross. And uh, there's a lot more to the building. They got a bunch of stuff to marry there. Very, very Catholic. Idols everywhere, candles everywhere. This is a part of the rock that you can see that they say is, is part of Golgotha, where Jesus, uh, or where the crosses were. They've got the glass over it. And, uh, but yeah, but, you know, said so whether these are the spots or not, without a doubt, these places have been believed to be the spots since the 4th century. So for, you know, 1,600 years, over 1,600 years, people have been going to this area uh, thinking this is the place where Jesus died on the cross. So, of course, this is a uh, very, very special place for a lot of reasons. And it's, it's amazing that it's kind of survived. It's been, this, era, this church has been taken over by Muslims before in history, but the Muslims uh, that took it over decided not to tear it down or turn it into a mosque or anything like that. The one leader, um, he made sure that he didn't do anything in there. He didn't want people thinking it was a mosque. And so... A lot of people have always respected the history that was there and the fact that Christians believed that that was the spot. Um, but, um, you know, let's go and see a little more. So this is me going under there. I said, I didn't even know what I was supposed to be looking at. I was just trying to get footage of it. Stuck my hand down the hole to see what was there. Nothing happened. I didn't get healed of anything. But, um, but, you know, it, it, would, it was pretty cool thinking, what if this was the spot? And uh, most Baptists, they won't even visit this place when they go because, um, you know, uh, one, because of how Catholic it is. And I don't care how Catholic it is. It's a cool looking place. It's got a ton of history. But then, two, they get offended because it's inside the city walls. But the walls have changed over history. At one time, it probably wasn't. So these are extra... 
rock-cut tombs that they found inside there that they've just decided is the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And they just found that in like the 1800s. So I don't know how they, how they know that, but this is like a super old chapel that they have inside there. I forgot what it's called exactly, but it's pretty junky in there. But this stuff is old. This stuff has been sitting in there and has not moved. Pretty much anything you see in here, these things, oh, these things have not moved. All right, we'll get to the fight here in a little bit for a very long time. But yeah, you see the fight going on there. We're going to get into what that fight is about. Cause, so what's interesting about this place, uh, about this church, is again, it's been believed to be where Jesus died and rose again for over 1,600 years. So who has control of that area? Who is actually running it? Because in the Six-Day War in 1967... The Jews, when they took over the old city, they actually took over the Church of the Holy Sepulchre too. And they took over the Temple Mount. But the world got very angry at them. And so to kind of calm everybody down and prevent a war, they ended up giving the keys to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. They gave back to the Christians and they gave the Temple Mount back to the Muslims and just to kind of appease everybody. And we'll probably talk more about that in a future week. But now they have what they call the status quo is what's going on. And it's the same thing when it comes to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And we'll, we'll talk about what that means. But this, um, so, when, so yeah, when it comes to this church, or the status quo, it means the existing state of affairs. So if, if you ask who has control of it, you know, historically, it's not even about historically who's had control, because you know what? Everybody has their own story. That's the thing you've got to understand. When you hear any history about any place in Jerusalem, everyone has their own version of history. The Christians have their version. The Catholics have their versions. The Muslims have their versions. And the Jews all have their versions of history. And it is offensive to question anyone's version of history. But, you know, we're from America. You know, we're about the facts in our culture. And, you know, we kind of like to know, well, what's actually right? You know, what does the evidence say? And it's offensive to look at these things. But uh, at the same time, um, you know, who does have control over this area? And remember, we already showed buildings aren't important. Jesus is what's important. Jesus does not dwell in buildings. But I will admit, if this was where he actually died on the cross and rose again, that's still pretty cool. But at the same time, it's, it's not a necessity to us spiritually. We should not die over a spot like that, you know, it, or getting fist fights and things like that. That's, that's not really worth it. But there are actually, it's six different churches that have control on it, and they do not get along at all. And that fight that you saw going on there, that was all those churches fighting with each other. And you will not believe what they got in a fight over. And I'll tell you what they got in a fight over in a little bit. But in, in 1757, there was an Ottoman decree establishing a status quo upholding the state of affairs for various Holy Land sites. The status quo was upheld in Sultan, I don't know how to say his name, his decree of 1852, which pinned down the now permanent statutes of property and the religion, uh, regulations concerning the roles of the different denominations and other custodians. 
the primary custodians, so the people who, so their agreement was made in the 1850s, saying, all right, we're going to try to make this work for everybody. And so there were six different groups. You had the Roman Catholics, the Greek Orthodox, the Armenian Apostolic Churches, and those are the three main ones. And then the Greek Orthodox Act through the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate, however you say that, as well through the Brotherhood of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, the Roman Act through the Franciscan custody of the Holy Land in the 19th century, the Coptic Orthodox, the Ethiopian Orthodox, and the Syriac Orthodox also acquired lesser responsibilities, which include shrines and other structures in and around the building. So you do have those three other groups that are in charge of different things. So basically, while you have one huge building there, everybody kind of has their area where they are in control and where they run things, do things, have their ceremonies and rituals, but all of them think it belongs to them. The Roman Catholics think it belongs to them. The Greek Orthodox think it belongs to them. But in the meantime, they go there, they do their thing, you know, and nobody's fighting with each other. And so everybody's like, all right, so nobody's fighting. All right, the world's a happy place now, you know, and, uh, but nothing's really been settled. Okay. Nothing's really been settled. And that's how it is in many places in Jerusalem. Who actually has control of this area? Well, it depends on who you ask. The question is, is anybody fighting right now? And as long as nobody's fighting, everyone's happy. But in the meantime, you've got Jews and Palestinians and Christians who don't like the situation and are, everybody's always just waiting for somebody to try something so they can start fighting with each other. And that there's been some incidents where people have tried stuff in that church and it's literally created fights. And so uh, none of these people, none of these groups that were mentioned control the main entrance. And now, I'm not, it's not 100% how accurate this is, but this is interesting though. But in 1192, Saladin assigned four doorkeeping responsibilities to the Muslim uh, Nuzaba family. The wooden doors that compose the main entrance are the original highly carved doors. The Jauda Al-Guda family were entrusted as custodian to the keys of the Holy Sepulchre by Saladin in 1187. Despite occasional disagreements, religious services take place in the church with regularly coexistence in general peaceful, is generally peaceful. An example of concord between the church custodians is the full restoration of the Atticule from 2016 to 2017. So notice how there was a family in 1192, a Muslim family that was assigned to be the doorkeeper. Remember that big door that we went in? And we met the guy when we were over there. His family, for sure, for like 500 years, I think they can prove, his family has been the one who's held the key and it, they're responsible for opening and closing the door. Not, like not even the other churches can agree to let one of the other churches do it. And so because this Muslim family has been doing it for like a thousand years, it's probably always going to be that way. And it's like a really big deal. I mean, imagine that being your job. You open and close the door every day. And, and nobody else can do it. Okay? None of us will ever get that job. No matter how hard we try, we'll have to kill a ton of people to ever, to ever get that job. And we'd have to kill a lot of people. And um, it, it, it's, just, it's not going to happen. But again, and then everything else that you see in there, 
It's been pretty much that way since the 1850s. And so, when it comes to that immovable ladder, the reason that ladder has been sitting there for so long is because when they made that original agreement, it was never decided who the ladder belonged to. And so no one's allowed to move the ladder. And for them to do anything in there, for them to move anything, all the churches have to agree, and they never all agree on anything. So nothing changes. They, so that ladder, I mean, it has, it's, been sitting there, it's been sitting there. And so uh, let's go ahead and watch this fight, and then we'll talk about what caused this fight. Because this is pretty brutal. I mean, this is in the most holy place for Christians. And look at the way all these guys in robes are acting. And fighting each other, going nuts. They got the police in there watching this guy get sucker punched. I mean, this is pretty brutal. I mean, look at that. You know, diving on people. These are supposed to be holy men. So, yeah, pretty, pretty, all right, pretty ugly fight right there. All right, so that's all we'll show of that. What do you think caused that fight? Doctrinal dispute. You know what happened? So they have this area on the roof. I forgot which group kind of occupies that. There's kind of like a protest, so it's like certain groups kind of occupy and watch over that area all the time, and nobody moves from there. But one day, one of the monks or priests that were up there, uh, he was getting hot, and so he just moved a chair a few inches so he could be in the shade rather than in the sun. And that was seen as this hostile thing, and it caused that fight to break out. Because somebody moved a chair without getting permission of all the other churches. Now, I don't think that's what the Bible's talking about when it talks about fighting the good fight of faith. I, I do not believe that, that that was the case at all. But that is exactly what happened. That was in 2002. Yeah, a Coptic monk moved his chair from its agreed spot into the shade. It was interpreted as a hostile move by the Ethiopians. Eleven were hospitalized after the resulting fight. In another incident in 2004, during Orthodox celebration of the exaltation of the Holy Cross, a door to the Franciscan chapel was left open. This was taken as a sign of disrespect by the Orthodox, and a fist fight broke out. Some people were arrested, but no one was seriously injured. On Palm Sunday in 2000, April 2008, a brawl broke out when a Greek monk was ejected from the building by a rival faction. Police were called to the scene, but were also attacked by the enraged brawlers. On Sunday, November 9, 2008, a clash erupted between Armenian and Greek monks during celebrations for the Feast of the Cross. So again, so I didn't realize how it was there. I mean, if I'd have known how crazy those people were, I'd probably have been a little more careful in there, and I'd probably gotten a little more scared when the priest started hissing at me like a cat, knowing that these people are ready to throw down with somebody at any time. You know, I mean, so, uh, yeah, I didn't realize how dangerous of a situation I was in when I was there. But again, so that ladder, it's just, it's kind of a symbol. You'll, you can find a lot of stuff online about the immovable ladder. It's just like a symbol of the goofy situation that they have there. I mean, it's a stinking ladder and no one can move it. Now, I will say there, historically, there, it has been moved a couple times. I think it was in, I forgot what year it was, but somebody actually stole the ladder one time as a prank and, and like got away with it, I guess. 
but then like felt bad and brought it back. <laughs> and so they put it right back in its spot. And then I think there was a, maybe one or two other times when it was moved because they were cleaning something or repairing something. Uh, but, but other than that, that ladder stays there and it will probably always stay there. And it's, a, and it's just a symbol of the weird situation there of six churches that can't agree on anything. And the truth is, you know, what's inter- what I think is interesting about that is I obviously do not believe that any of those churches represented are legitimate churches. I believe, I, you know, what got that church built there, what caused that to be cited, it was the same people who formed the Catholic Church. I mean, the Catholic Church, you can't even call it apostate because it was never right. It was never... Uh, you know, it was it was never of God in any way, shape, or form. You know, it was. I mean, some people believe and historically have believed that it was the you know the the first pope. You know, that was the rise of the Antichrist. You know, that the man of sin, and uh, you know, it's um, some even believe it was the falling away that Paul prophesied. I you know I don't know, but e- either way you look at it, it's not legit. But what's interesting about the fact that these groups who all claim to be the authentic church, how they can't even agree on anything, even just putting the ladder away. Okay? It, it makes me think of Matthew 18, 18, where it says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And you know, and so the thing is, and Jesus said this too, right after telling them how to deal with conflicts. And if they won't listen, bring it before the church. And you let the church decide. And he said, two or three of you agree on anything? He's like, I'm there. Heaven, we will back your decision. We will agree with you. You have our authority. But you want to know why these people can't agree on anything? Because Jesus is nowhere near them. You know what? If we actually have Christ in us, if we have the Spirit of Christ guiding us, leading us, we will be able to find agreement. We will be able to do that. But these groups, they can't find it to save their lives. They can't even agree to move a chair out of the shade without a fist fight breaking out. You know what? Jesus is nowhere near the Catholic Church or the Greek Orthodox Church or the Coptic Churches. He's not, he's not anywhere near any of that stuff. These people are worshiping rocks, buildings. And, and ultimately, what they're all doing is they're fighting for power. Because if you are the church that's in control of the most holy site in Christianity, you're a church that has a lot of power, aren't you? But at the same time, biblically, are there any special sites with special powers? No. You know where Christ dwells today? In our body. In our body. And we ought to be thankful for that. We ought to appreciate that. And it's really sad when we have clear scriptures explaining this, we have people who call themselves Christians occupying and physically fighting for a building that they're using to ultimately lead people away from Christ. They're leading people into idolatry or as they call it, veneration. And uh, it's, it's not what God intended. And again, if that were the location, 
where Jesus died on the cross, that would be cool. I mean, it, but that's about it. It'd be neat to know, you know, to go to the place. But at the at the end of the day, we have something better. We have something. We have what God actually wanted us to have. You know what we have? We have the record of it. And think about this: we have the whole book of John that was written so we would believe, and so we could have we could have life. The Gospel of John is what God wants people to get. And we can take the Gospel of John to people. You know what we can't do? We can't take the world to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. We can't do that kind of thing. We can do something so much better. And, we can, and, and when we do that too, people can believe on Christ and He will come to them. That is so, that is so much better. And in the, the truth is, what these guys are doing is really no different than what the Jews continue to do after Christ came to earth. They continued to make a big deal about the temple to the point where God had to come and take it away. And they, they continued making a big deal about buildings, priests, all those things. And all you're seeing in Israel today is just a Christian version of it. It's the exact, they're doing the exact same thing the Jews are doing. It's just, but in the name of Christianity, and it's not biblical, it's not right, Christ is nowhere near it. They have zero spiritual authority and they prove it with their stupid fights that break out all the time, with their stupid ladder that they can't even agree to put away. And just let that, let that ladder always be a reminder to you when you see it. If you ever get a chance to go over there, I would encourage you to go look at the building. It's cool. It's neat. A lot of history there. But when you see that ladder there, just let it be a reminder. Jesus is nowhere near this place. He's, he's got nothing to do with what's going on here. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. We thank you so much for the, what you did for us on the cross, making uh, salvation so easy, making access to you so easy. And we thank you, Lord, that you're able to dwell in us and that uh, your blood has cleansed us from our sins, making us acceptable to you. And I pray help us to always remember that and spread that message and never get caught up in 